What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Bra Meets Extra Credit. This is Extra Credit. Ayo. Um, <laughs> you know, this is not a, a normal episode for us. Today, we will not be talking about a Boy Meets World episode. I kind of insisted upon having a special episode because, uh, you know, Siege, I've known him for damn what 15 years now like a long time i know his love of the scream movies and the scream franchise is so like raw as raw as like my love of boy meets world our shared love of boy meets world like it's just something we get so hyped about and that he particularly has is like stands out so much for that i thought it would be really fun for us we both saw the movie separately last night but you know we, we i took notes and you know we kind of planned on having a conversation about it and i would love to just have a conversation about the new Scream movie with with my friend Siege. Uh, ha- First of all, Siege, you saw the movie yesterday. I saw the I had my ticket months in advance. Like, literally, the moment <laughs> tickets were available, I was like, I have mine. I'm going to the earliest showing I can go to. Um, I don't care who comes with me. This is where I will be. And uh, for Scream 2022, really, really excited. And I'm really excited to talk about this because uh, I have thoughts. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So before we get too into um, our reviews and our thoughts on Scream 5, I thought it would be fun to kind of talk about, like, some Scream franchise stuff, maybe have a spoiler-free review for those who are listening who don't want the reveals, because uh, as a Scream stand myself, I never want to ruin a Scream movie for anyone. We saw what that did to Scream 2. Yeah, um <laughs> absolutely. But I will say you are asking a lot of me to talk about this movie and not spoil anything, but I am a team player and I am willing to make that sacrifice for you. Okay, okay. So before we get into Scream 5 or Scream as it's you know been Scream redubbed. 2022. Uh Siege, what is your history with the original Scream movie and the franchise itself? Okay, if y'all don't know by now, <laughs> Scream uh, the original is literally my favorite movie of all time. I can quote it. I know so much about it. Matthew Lillard, as we mentioned, what that tongue do. Uh, I think I, he's just so hilarious throughout the movie. I think that it was the it was my introduction to meta, um, meta awareness, and I think that it's just done so perfectly. And there's a reason why everyone comes back to this movie when we are talking about meta uh, cinema. And then uh, if my history with the very first one, uh, I don't know if I've ever shared this, but like, I actually didn't see it in theaters as a kid. I saw it on TV at one, some point in time, and I remember very vividly in my room with like, if anyone remembers the kind of little black TV that had the VHS player attached to it at the bottom, like, yes. I had one of those in my room. I was, like, the coolest kid in high school or middle school for having one. And um, I was flipping through the channels, and I remembered very vividly for those. This is a little bit of a spoiler for the first, the literally the first screen. But I was flipping through the channels, and I remember looking at Drew Barrymore cooking popcorn. And I was like, oh, that's cool, whatever. I don't need to watch a Drew Barrymore movie. And I keep flicking through the channels, and then – there weren't that a lot of channels, so I, I come back around, and the next scene that I see 
Jumei Moore's popcorn's on fire. I'm like, wait, what just happened there? Like five seconds ago, she was just making popcorn. Now popcorn's on fire. And then I flipped through again, and there was some dude chasing her. And I was like, yo, what is this movie? What like what what is going on? And little did I know that a that is the intro. So I didn't really miss much. I thought I had like stumbled in some movie midway through, and b that I was unknowingly learning the true love of my life, which is this movie. And I watched it, loved it, and have been a fan ever since. Wow. Um, You know, it's, gosh, (laughs) you're the kind of person this movie was made for. Um, (laughs) I quickly want to just kind of comment on that as well, because um, the movie also kind of comments on my history of Scream, in which this was a movie that I really bonded with my mom over. Um, My mom and my whole mom's side of the family are very much into horror movies. My uncle and my older cousin showed me horror movies when I was way too young. Like, that was just a thing all of my family is super into for some reason. And I didn't see this movie in theaters, but my mom saw this with her sister, and she came home, and she was terrified. And she came to me and she said, T, I saw the scariest movie tonight. And she couldn't get over how scared she was. And, you know, I don't think she ever took me to theaters to see it, but I saw it when it was in Blockbuster, which, by the way, this is a perfect movie to rent from fucking Blockbuster. In fact, I almost say that this was the ideal way to watch this movie is to rent it from a Blockbuster. Um, and I watched it and I literally fell in love with it. And and. To your point, like, you saw this and you thought, like, oh, what's Drew Barrymore doing? I'm pretty certain, because I saw this movie when I was, like, eight years old. <laughs> I think this was my first relationship with Drew Barrymore was the Scream movie. Like, I, I know I had seen E.T. I had seen a few other things. But, like, Drew Barrymore registered to me as Drew Barrymore in in the Scream movies. So, um, or at least the first one. It's funny that you say that because I knew her... I think I knew of her as like a celebrity. So as you said, like we were like eight or whatever. So I didn't really know, like I have an identity with her at any real movie franchise, but like I knew she was a celebrity and I I could recognize her face. But I also think she was kind of like in my world, uh, designated to like rom-coms or something. So I was like, oh, this is like a Drew Barrymore movie. I don't need to watch this. That's not what I was down for. And it really like what's crazy is when you know the history of screaming like why they chose to have Drew Mary Drew Barrymore be the opening scene. I was like, oh, it totally worked. You totally got me. I didn't understand what was going on. It made me curious, and it made me just want to follow this story wherever it may lead. And as I said, it ended up leading to five different movies. And I was like, yep, I've been on a ride. Ever since that popcorn <laughs> caught on fire. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like I said, I, w- I wasn't even 10 years old, but because I had been introduced to so many horror movies, even though I didn't recognize, like, the psycho reference of Drew Barrymore's, like, being casted, marketed as the lead, and killed off right away, even though I couldn't truly appreciate that in the moment, I did see the tropes that they were mocking. I was able to appreciate the pop culture references... <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. Simply from just 
being a fan of of the genre. Um, and here, clearly, everyone can hear our shared appreciation and love for <laughs> the original movie. But I kind of want to pivot and talk to you a little bit about the Scream sequels two, three, and four. What is your appreciation relationship with those movies? Um, the overall canon of the Scream movies, the Sidney Prescott like canon. What are your thoughts on it? How do you feel about it? It for me goes one two four three like that's one, my two, four three so okay I okay think any true scream fan will agree three is it's it's redeemable in certain ways but it was a swing and a miss in a lot of other ways and i feel like there are things about a scream movie that i go to that movie for and i need in order to really appreciate the movie number one is we have to have uh who done it like you gotta have your who done it. Like usually you have your opening act. Someone's letting us know that there is a killer on the loose, and then we figure out who is this killer, and hopefully we figure out in time before everyone dies. So you have to have the who done it. Then you actually have to have the. To me, it's a tie between the social commentary on where we are at in relationship to media and movies, but also our relationship with our phones. I think that that's another thing that I really saw the genius behind Scream is Scream is, is really about an, an experiment and exploration on our ties to our phones, to trust and to relationships. The fact that you don't know who's on the other end of the phone whenever you pick it up, there's a lot of trust that goes into that. And what this movie did was it made everyone realize, oh, I can't see who's at the other end of that phone call. I'm making a lot of assumptions, and that could actually be harmful. But what I also love, and because of that, in the very first one, as you can tell anyone who has uh, listened that my passion about it. In the very first one, that led to a spike in caller ID. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the number of people who's like got caller ID or star 69 on their phone after seeing this movie skyrocketed because everyone was like, oh shit, I can't just take this for granted anymore. And then each, each following movie has also been able to comment on that. Then it was, all right, not just your home phone, cell phones, not just cell phones, car phones, not just caller ID. All right, like one of my favorite things about the fourth one is it showed that even though you have someone's phone number programmed in your phone, because who's going to answer an unknown call? No one. But you don't know that that's the other person on the other end of the line, you're assuming. And that was like such a... I was like, how are they going to do this? How are they going to add any mystery? If TC were to call me, I know that it's TC. But it's like, do you know this TC? Or are you assuming? Because anyone could say, if TC texts me and is like, hey, meet me outside, I'm going outside, no questions asked. And I thought that that was such a genius move. And that's what I love about these movies. Sorry if I'm hype. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 bro, I love it. I'm right there with you. Um, you know, I have to say that I... I, I, I love your list. I totally agree that Scream 3 is probably the low point of the franchise, although there are some things about Scream 3 that yeah, some, this franchise yeah. tries to ignore that's canon that I have some issues with I'm going to get into <laughs> later. But um, 
I, I guess I just wanted to say that I kind of love Scream 4. Scream yes. 4 yes. is kind of... Ooh, ooh. Not to, I, I don't think Scream 4 is better or worse than Scream 5. It's just different, but there are things about Scream 4 I can really appreciate and love. I love the idea of live streaming a murder. To me, that is just a fascinating idea. That is terror on another level where you can scare people from all corners of the earth with one action. Like, I love that premise. I love what Scream 4 tried to do. Do. I love its opening sequence. I think it's one of my favorite opening sequences of any Scream movie. Um, and so, like, yeah, I, I'm right there with you in that, like, that Scream 4 really has some really good nuggets that I think didn't develop as far as I wish they would. But I, I love, as a Scream fan, I can really appreciate what Scream 4 did. I'm a Scream 4 apologist. In all honesty, <laughs> like, the only reason, like, I think that if we take away the Jada Pinkett opening scene from Scream 2... Scream 4 immediately is my second favorite. Like, yeah, no agreed. questions asked. But it's literally the opening sequence of Scream 2 that makes me be like, nah, I, got, I have to give that second place, and I have to defend wherever that movie goes. I kind of low-key like the Jadis Pickett uh opening better than the drew barrymore one no disrespect to the drew barrymore i understand the legacy i understand all of that but to me the idea of you are being stabbed by someone in a mask in a room full of everyone wearing a mask is so terrifying in the sense that you are screaming for help in public no one is believing you all of that to me is like kind of tops it for me as far as just like the fear factor of it all absolutely and here's the thing like i i agree that the opening is better the fear is way more real and the like the i like to me the stakes are higher because drew barrymore's opening is like no one's going to get to you in time Jaden's yeah. opening is everyone's there and you still don't get help and that is even like like where do you go from there? And first of all, can we just say the black experience? Yes, <laughs> I was gonna say like before Jordan Peele, this was the closest commentary on black people in horror that there was. And yeah. so I just ha I love the idea that Scream Two really said that a black woman could die in public with an audience and people won't care. Oh, like that's we got to talk about that sometime, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. We we can go down that. <laughs> but like no, honestly, in all honesty, like I uh, I agree, but I will also say that you don't get the weight of the second opener without the first opener yep. you need them to compare and contrast and like it would be great if we uh like can you watch jada's opening without having seen the first one yes you can but you don't get what we're doing you don't get the meta commentary you don't get why jada saying everything that she's saying in the first act is so amazing and funny and spot on like it's it was saying something about what was already said. And I think that that is why it's great, but it's still number two. You know, I, I have to give the Scream movies credit because as you're talking about that, I'm kind of thinking about something I loved about this movie, which I know we're going to get into later, is that every Scream sequel really does attempt 
in, in, in its own way to attach itself to the original IP as, as closely as possible. Like the second movie, if you think about every Ghostface there ever was, it all goes back to Maureen Prescott, like yes. for the most part. And I kind of love that at least that's the one consistency about this is that like it, it it's there is some kind of overall thread between these random people who all put on this face. I will absolutely like I I I don't think this is a spoiler, but um, it it is pulling from the Scream Five uh, that we're talking about, which is to say, there's a moment where Gail says, "None of this would have happened had I not written that book," and she has a point. Like, is it her fault that the events between Scream One and Five? Uh, happened? No, she's not responsible for people's actions. But she does have a point that without that book, without Gail taking an interest in this story, we don't get the other five. And that's really interesting to think about. I, I, I don't know because Scream 3 told me that a certain character named Roland orchestrated the events of Scream 1, 2, and 3 that would have happened regardless of a book, even though in Scream 5 it's not mentioned. All right, we got to oh, no, talk no, about no, Scream no, 5. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> let's, let's talk about 3 really quick. Really quick. Okay, okay, okay. To say, you're right, but he, he put the most, he put the uh, steps into action. Yeah, but at the exact same time, would anyone have cared? That's another yeah. situation. Like, People are murdered all the goddamn time, but the ones that get the ones whose story are told, that's how it gets out into the ether. And I do think that that makes a difference. And also, that's kind of like, again, what we are talking about with the screen movies. It's almost always like, hey, did you hear what happened? That makes a difference. Yeah, and I guess the one through line from all of the ghost faces is this idea of trying to achieve fame through tragedy. And so you're right in the sense that without a book to uh, kind of play up this event and make these events famous, there is no series of people trying to reach fame through tragedy creating tragedy well i think it's what's what's really great if you want to look at it that way is it's also an examination of our relationship to trauma and tragedy and how the public has this interest because again if we don't like in the very first movie one of the first things that we hear or we see after the very gruesome murder is all the television news crews at the school and it's just like all anyone can talk about. And that's because of us. Would they cover it if no one cared? No, there are plenty of missing black people to prove that point. But yeah. it's the idea that we can't get enough about a woman fighting for her life. Oh my God, that's a story that we love to hear. And I think that it's very, very interesting. Definitely. Um, all right, Siege, I'm, I'm going to quickly try to pivot um, just because there's so much I want to discuss. Can you give me your best spoiler-free review of Scream 2022? Okay, am I giving my review or my opinion? Because... Opinion, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just like if you were to talk to a friend who was like, I haven't seen this movie, what do you think? Okay, I will say that... They do a lot of really interesting things in Scream 2022. They um, they are more diverse 
than they always uh, have been. They they hit a lot of the marks that you want for a Scream movie. There's one really important mark that I don't think they do right, but they do it. There are actually two. There are two parts that I think they don't do right, but they do hit. And to me, it's honestly just a matter of editing that would have made a difference. And then also, um, I will say that the characters that we see, some make sense, some don't. So it's you, you can go into this movie and enjoy it for a modern movie you can go into this movie and enjoy it for a screen movie but i don't anticipate anyone saying that this is their favorite screen okay this is so funny because i kind of low-key expected a little bit more enthusiasm from you not because of my feelings of the movie because they kind of actually mirror your temperament and, and excitement about it um i can appreciate what the movie was trying to do i don't know if it's my favorite of the movies are the sequels, but I enjoyed myself when I was watching it. I had a good yes. time. Yes. Like as far as like watching a movie and, and, and it being a whodunit and all that stuff, like it's a great time. Sure. Great. But there, I'll say, you, I was oh, just going to uh, say, I think you put it perfectly. Great. Whodunit. Like in terms yeah. of whodunits, they get the, if, if we only measured them on the list that I gave you earlier, they get the whodunit aspect, right? Totally. A hundred percent. And I would even say that, you know, the commentary on what do they call them? Requels? Yeah, requels. The commentary on requels is a very interesting conversation that I love yes. that they're kind of like zooming in and, you know, dissecting and ripping apart. Um, it's a lot of fun. However, when I left the, the theater, my notes were surprisingly critical and I was like, I had so much fun watching this movie. Why are my first reactions to write down everything that, like, kind of bugged me a little bit? I, when we get into spoilers, I will give you a complete rundown. But I will say that because the thing about Scream, the Scream franchise, is it's, say what you want about it, it's always been really smart. And it's always kind of, as I said, it makes you walk away thinking about the movie almost always sticks with you and it makes you think about your relationship again with your phone, with the people in your life, with uh, movies in general. Like that's like you said, your mom came home and was like, I just saw the scariest movie. And there's a reason for that. She left feeling something. And I think that when you are a fan of this franchise, there are certain expectations that you want to be met. And what was really important about Scream, very much if you want to even go back to what we were talking about with, uh, and then there was Sean, is there's a certain formula that it's examining things, but flawlessly. Like, you know that we're re-examining things, but they're doing so, so smoothly, you don't even see the strings. And And part of the amazement is, how did they pull this off with me not even noticing the strings? There had to be yeah. strings, but I didn't notice them. And this movie, I could see the strings a little bit. And I think that that's why you're critical. Not because it's not a good movie, but because I can see strings and that's not what I'm used to seeing in 
a Scream franchise. Yeah, I, you know, when I when I kind of was thinking about it myself, the reason why I thought I had the reaction I did was that, um, you know, one of the things that my mom was so, like, geeked out about when she first saw the movie was that the idea of, like, when the whodunit was revealed in Scream 1, the idea of there being two killers was like, what? It was such a huge surprise. And I, I'll get into this later on, but the Scream movies kind of mimic my relationship with M. Night Shyamalan in the sense where, like, I see what you're trying to do. I love the attempt. You get an A for effort. But you're sometimes the execution isn't as strong as the original idea. Yeah. And, and so, like, the idea that in the like for example in the sixth sense there was this huge like reveal and it was like wow and then every time after that it seemed like an attempt to reach that that moment that was never fulfilled with m night and i feel the same thing with the screen franchise i will say i know exactly what you're talking about i don't necessarily agree that i've never felt that way i will say in, in all honesty i will say that maybe i like four the most because four is the closest that I've ever gotten to being like, I was surprised. You know, yeah. like, like, like on, in, all, in the first one, you surprised me. I didn't see it coming. In the fourth one, you surprised me on who it was. Like, did I know there were two killers? Obviously. But did I know who the two killers were? I honestly didn't think that I did. And so that was different. And you got me and you win. But I agree that in two, three, and even five, there's less of, okay, I know what we're getting. And at this point in time, I just want to know how we're getting there. Okay. All right. I think it's time that we kind of transition to the spoiler part of this, this podcast. Anyone who's listening to this at this point, um, if you haven't seen the movie, pause now, go to your local theater, stream it however you can watch the movie and then come back because now we're getting into spoilers. Uh, Siege right off the bat. I'm just going to kind of run. I kind of want to talk to you about some pros, some things you liked about the movie. And again, we're going to be talking openly filled with spoilers. Um, so uh, I guess the first thing I want to get into is the opening sequence of the film. Uh, w- how do you uh, like it? Uh, so here's the thing. You, you put me in a very awkward position because you said pros and then you brought up the one, one of the first things that I want to critique. Which <laughs> oh, is, interesting. Okay. Uh, what I think is interesting about all previous opening sequences is we always did something different. We always had a surprise factor. Like, like were we, was there a killer on the loose? Yes. But each and every opening, we got a different location. We got a different dynamic. We got, we got something to where I was like, oh, I don't know where this can go. And I spend my entire time thinking, what are the stakes here? And, and when will this happen? Whereas this opening sequence felt the most paint by numbers it felt the most retreaded ground and i wish that we had done something a little bit different uh a friend who i saw it with said something perfect that i was like actually yes this is one of the things i agree they were like what if in the opening sequence when we see ghostface with the phone live streaming that individual what if they actually are just there and the main character is forced to watch as something happens? You know, like, yeah, if, like there is no going back. 
you are stuck watching this and you're terrified. And it's not this temptation. The the first, very similar to the way that we watch television now, the first kill is something that you see happen directly in front of you, but there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And that to me is like, okay, now we're doing something different. We're commenting on live streaming. We're commenting on the fact that um, you can- Tragedy see- can pop up on your phone at any moment and you're just forced exactly. to watch it. Exactly. Like that kind of thing, or, or even if you want to do that, having it be the very first kill that we see is received on the phone and you just got to watch it. This person is watching this thing happen and there's nothing that they can do. Like that to me- is a little bit better than what we got. I will say in terms of pros, one, the actress who plays, uh, I think her name's like Jenny Ortega or something. Um, who plays... Um, she plays um, the sister. Jenny Ortega, yeah, yeah. yeah she Jenny plays Ortega. Tara. Tara. Jenny Ortega does a really good job. I feel yeah. honestly that she's, like her agent is positioning her to be like a new scream queen because she's in you, she's in oh, yeah. this, and she's in the new movie called X, which is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Boogie Nights. It's this weird Oof. thing, but like, like she's great. And in the trailer, she's screaming. And I was like, someone wants you to be the new next Jamie Lee Curtis, and I'm happy. I'm here for. <laughs> and then also when we remember talking about the things that we need to have. The social commentary about like you have the smartphone where you lock the doors and the doors can be unlocked and like all all of those things. I really enjoyed that idea. I also feel like we just kind of did paint by the numbers, and I would have liked to see something different. You know, I it, maybe it was a mistake, kind of jumping right into the pros because I also had a lot of criticism <laughs> about the opening sequence. I, I so it, maybe we might just have to talk about subjects and kind of dissect it as we go. But um, uh, one thing about the opening sequence that I'll say because you hit a lot of the points I already was feeling. Um, I kind of thought that technology would play a bigger role based on the opening sequence in the trailer that was released. This idea of a smart house yes. kind of and like the technology of our cars like i kind of thought that would play a bigger role in the same way that live streaming did in the fourth one and it didn't and i was a little disappointed with that um i would also say that you know the whole theme of this movie is like referring to legacy movies quote unquote this idea that like you know fandom has become this thing that has now controlled movie franchises to where you cannot make a movie without pleasing fans to the point where you know they'll they'll kill your movie essentially and that's that's kind of the commentary that's that's being said um so the way that scream 2022 approaches that is to dissect the stab franchise that's within the scream world so the opening sequence has a very mirrored uh you know experience to what drew barrymore's was in the first movie except without drew Drew barrymore is being asked about these legacy horror movies halloween friday 13th um tara in 2022 scream is being asked about the stab franchise and because that's a franchise that exists within the world of scream i did not feel that i had any personal connection to tara now i know they're like this was literally put in for the fans they're asking questions that they want the fans to be like no there's two killers in the first one like but it felt a little too like obvious of what they were trying to do to the point where it didn't feel like 
I was getting anything. And this is kind of my overall criticism of this movie is that they're very critical about the status of horror now without adding anything new to it. Yes, absolutely agree. As I said, it's very paint by the numbers. And I would say one of my biggest critiques is how paint by the numbers it is without really giving us anything. Like, for example, in the very beginning, we're talking hereditary. We're talking Jordan Peele, get out. So if we're doing that, you should give me social commentary. If we're doing that, you should be talking about uh, the fact that Tara was attacked and she's a person of color. And there's some kind of insight on the number of women who actually aren't like people women of color their murders and disappearances aren't given the same kind of attention like that if if we're doing that i want some kind of symbolism i want some kind of underlying truth that we're not ready to hear but we totally go to movies to see uh just like she said with babadook or whatever it's just like no that movie is about x and if that movie is about x then and you're making fun of those movies and those genre, but then you should be giving me something Yeah. More. The reason why the original was so powerful was because it was critiquing other movies, but doing it better. And exactly. it almost felt like the movie at many points was like, hey, we know there's a lot of movies out there doing great things in horrors, but we're not, that's a different kind of film. This We're talking about a stab move kind of movie. They're talking about specifically serial killer slasher films and they make it a point that that's the focus that's the genre that they want to dissect they don't want to dissect or get into these more interesting things happening in horror but it would have been far more interesting to incorporate these yes. other things happening in horror um and i i, I feel the exact same way um like, i don't want to hate we, on oh so go, like, go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say why like we have two um well i think we have what three three minimum uh, kids of color in the in the group. Totally. Three to four minimum. Why isn't there some commentary on... Because, again, as we said, everyone knows the Black guy dies first. So, like, if, if that's, like, not what we're doing, if we're not going to have some kind of commentary or mention about that on the fact that, like, hey, even though um, these are following requel rules, as far as scary movie rules go... Black guy, black guy should be dying first, you know, like, and then subvert that. Like, I think that there's a, a moment in this movie where um, I can't remember his name, but dude with the blonde streaks, he's like yes. considered safe, not because, dude, you're a white male, you're the safest person on this list, you know, like that would that would be a great way to be like, hey, if we don't know anything else, we know black guy in movie, you're next, and then having the white guy go next social commentary love it yeah but instead we skirt around it and it's just like is everything about race no is everything about class no but some things are and this was a great opportunity to give it to us um i want to quickly i just want to pivot because i do have a few things that i really liked about this movie so i kind of want to focus on them first and then i want to get into some some other stuff um i love the idea of fandom being the antagonist because as we kind of are demonstrating here there really is no great way to please a fan and like please a fandom i would say when you have a movie like scream when you have a movie like halloween when you have a movie that people grew up with i mean even wizard of oz like these movies that have become a part of people's lives to add upon that in any way is always going to disappoint period and so like 
I get that they're trying to acknowledge the issue while also having fun with it. Um, and, and, you know, for that, I thought that it was interesting. I really thought that, like, this idea that the fans ended up, uh, the fans of Stab ended up being the revealed killers at the end was really interesting to me. Well, so what's interesting to me, though, that we could have made it a little bit better. I agree with you that it's interesting, but why don't we get more fan theories? Like, there's a little yes. bit, there's a little bit of, like, being like, oh, like, when we talk about Dewey, and it's like, it could be you. Let's think about it. You've had your life. You've been stabbed nine times. This has taken over your life. You lost your marriage to it. Well, you know, like, how do we know it's not you? And it's like, yeah, give me more of that. Yeah. Give me more fan theories. Give me more off-the-wall fan theories if we want to go there. I hear that the killer is actually an alien from one town over. You know, like, if we want to talk about fan theories and people not being satisfied, let's really examine that. Let's really go into... Um, what was I going to say? There's there's a very famous scene in BoJack Horseman where he talks about how in one episode uh, a fan noticed that a coffee cup is left into the scene in one moment and then the next moment the coffee cup's gone and the fan comes up to him and goes is that like uh, artistic expression of how perception and memory is varying depending on the character and he's like no it's just someone left the coffee cup in but like the if we were going to talk about fandom let's really look at all the fandoms that are out there and the way that people critique movies and the the way that everyone just like zooms in and can pause and stop and all this other stuff that's what i want from this movie another thing that i thought was important or kind of interesting that they brought up is this idea of netflix it's like you're right what streaming services binge culture like the ability to take everything in if that's what we're doing then i want you to give me all the information at once and then very much like binge culture be like but did you notice in the very beginning all of this information because that's what binge culture yeah 100 percent. you miss the minutia and that's what i would have liked this like again they address it but they really don't ex expand it and i think that that's why that's why you and i both left being like this was good but i have i have critiques um something i i enjoyed about this movie is that i thought this movie did a very good job probably the most successful job of connecting to the first film i think i mentioned that already um and i also just i i want to talk about this requel conversation that they have um a little bit because what they do is they kind of examine this idea that like hey in the common movie world that we're in you cannot just do a reboot no one will accept a new child a child's play chucky no one's gonna you know accept a brand new nightmare on elm street it needs to have a connection to the original but it, it needs to be new at the same time and they bring up several examples of ghostbusters and star wars and halloween um and i thought that was just a really interesting insight to how sequels have been successful and promoted and turned out over the last decade. I thought that was a really perceptive insight. Um, and I thought they did a good job of kind of criticizing that, but being that at the same time. I, here's the thing. I will give you that. The requel conversation 
was very interesting because I went into this being like, oh, they're going to talk about reboot culture. And they're like, no, not just any old reboot culture, specifically having to take an IP and tell a story that requires you to acknowledge the events from the first few movies. You know, like, and that is, there is a difference there. There is a difference between rebooting something completely and telling me the exact same story in a different way and retelling me a brand new story based on the events from the first story. Um, one of the things that they commented on, which I thought was kind of interesting too, and it made me wonder about the exact title of this film, was that in the movie, there's someone someone's watching an online video of people crit- critiquing the Stab franchise. And they're like, why are they just calling it Stab instead of Stab 8? It's so dumb. We all know it's Stab 8. Yeah. And I just I thought that was so funny because they're kind of openly mocking this idea of the Halloween franchise, just being like, oh no, it's just called Halloween. It's not called Halloween 3 or 4 or 5. It's just called Halloween. It's like, fuck, that's just confusing. As you said, the name of this movie, Just Being Scream, one of my first, like, one of the things that I was so adamant to be like, why is it called Just Scream and not Scream 5? And I was very, very upset. And they were like, no, we did that for a reason, because this isn't a continuation. We're not, like, even though we are picking up where we left off, that last movie that you saw was the beginning of a failed trilogy. We are starting our own beginning of a new trilogy and that makes a difference um we're getting into real spoiler uh territory here so again just just a warning <laughs> i need to know your reaction to skeet urge appearing in this movie you were like i liked the connection to the first one and i was like i saw that and i was like what are we doing no and i'm not talking about <laughs> how they wrote in the Ski Urge character and all of that, because I have a lot of cons about that. I'm saying your first instinct to seeing Ski Urge appear in Billy. That's what I said, which is, what are we doing? Like, for <laughs> me, it felt, so, it felt so jumping the shark. Like, it just felt like, and like, and, but like, like, they have a very good point that, all the movies, not all of the movies, but many of the movies that do this kind of requel, um, specifically Star Wars, do give you some CGI version of a character that you've known before but don't have access to now or some kind of de-aging. And I was like, oh, it's a very, again, a very good commentary, but I don't know if I needed it. Uh, and it actually kind of took me out of the world. Because I will say, as crazy as everything is in the Scream franchise, it's a very realistic, it's a very grounded series. Like, like in all honesty... Ah, Scream like, 3 has a lot of ghost shit in it, well, bro. I don't know. True, true. <laughs> I said as a whole, yeah. when we think about it, the thing that made Scream different was that it wasn't a supernatural killer. Yeah, it was definitely. It's in high school. The thing that always makes Scream interesting is these aren't people with supernatural powers who can run or walk and be in two places at once. No, it requires there to be two human beings in order to have this somewhat supernatural um, presence. And that, to me, was way more interesting than when we get into, like, the ghost in 3, which is why 3... Here's the thing. We can't deny. Once we left realism with 3, there's a reason it's on the bottom. And I would say that Ski Ulrich also 
brings this down for me. Okay, so I have to say, like, my immediate reaction to seeing the image of Billy gave me, like, real fandom, like, satisfaction immediately. Like, my first immediate was like, oh, Billy, like, it felt like there was a more deep connection to the first movie. But, however, I will say that everything outside of my immediate, like, oh, he's in this was disappointing to me for those exact same reasons. Do ghosts exist in this universe? This is a question that in Scream 3, they posit, but they're like, oh, no, Sydney's just kind of, like, out of it, is what I thought. Like, she had just been so isolated in Scream 3 that she was just hearing voices, she was seeing things. But if you watch that movie, it's really hard to argue that ghosts don't exist in this universe. And in this movie, I would say the same thing in the sense of, like, I don't know who... Uh, and I, I, I forgive me for not remembering her name. Melissa Barra's character, Sam. Um, is she, does she have some kind of paranormal element to her? And if so, I'm not into it. And I, I, yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I, you know, we're talking about, as, as we're talking about kind of legacy things, because I don't really have a whole lot else that I want to say to my positive list, other <laughs> than there's a moment in the hospital where um, Tara is watching TV and Dawson's Creek is on the television, yeah. which I thought was a fantastic nod to Kevin Williamson, who wrote the first movie and has pr- produced the series. Um and if you know anything about the Scream franchise, it's almost kind of hard to separate Dawson's Creek and Scream and Kevin Williams in that whole era. Um, he's really responsible for it. Um, but in the scene that they're watching, they're watching a specific episode that's a horror movie episode. So the idea that in a Scream movie, they're watching Dawson's Creek make fun of Scream, which is a movie that he wrote, it all just kind of felt like a... a it felt into it, like as I, I, I was, I was satisfied watching it. Like, oh, I understand why it was there. It was a great nod. But at a certain point, I was like, wow, we're really, like Jack and Kevin Williamson off pretty hard at this point. Like, yeah. there yeah. comes a point of an over homage um, to something uh, and someone. But you know, whatever. I kind of felt the same thing about naming the character Wes. I felt that was more of a distraction than anything else for me. Well, so it's so funny that you say that because I was actually going to put that in kind of like my prose. I will say naming the character Wes. Um, the number of times they say it, maybe not so much, but just having the kid be named Wes, having. Uh, Sam's last name be Carpenter. It is like, okay, I get what we're doing here. I like that we're doing, sorry, I like that we're doing it. Some other positives that I have, the psycho illusion was really good. Something that I, I thought was funny and then went on too long and then went on just long enough for it to be funny again. Yeah. The, the door thing. Yes. We're like it, when, when there's like, Who's behind the door? Oh, it's no one. Who's behind this door? No, and then just it yeah. got to the point where it's like there was no like. By the time he g- goes to the fridge, everyone in my audience was just laughing because we're yeah. like, "What door are we <laughs> like supposed to be afraid of?" And I thought that that was good because it's like it. They didn't just give us like a fake out for the sake of fake out. They're like, "No, at this point in time, any door is up for grabs," and it really, again, it went on just long enough 
to go from being annoying to being funny again. A hundred percent. I felt the same way about that scene because I thought it was a great commentary on what Tara's critique was about the Stab franchise. Oh, it's just a bunch of pointless jump scares. Um, yeah. And then playing on the idea of a jump scare by having like this kind of endless buildup to something. I also want to say that I, I was truly surprised by a few of the jump scares, uh, specifically um, the deputies judy hicks her death i did not see that coming at all um the idea of murder in broad daylight is terrifying to me something that ghostface has done before we see all that in scream 2 um but still just like killing a cop in broad daylight like i mean (laughs) there's some commentary there for you um i want to move on to my cons list because i i have some but i yeah yeah more positives i'll just say because like i there's not to say that this movie doesn't do some things right. I think the Rico conversation is really good. I I think the accusations are really good. There's a point in time where everyone's accusing everyone, and then there's there's very self aware moments where like um, when the twin character, the male twin whose name I can't remember, what's his name? Yeah, by um, yeah. Okay, so we are talking about uh, the the twins. Yeah. Chad Meeks Martin and Mindy Meeks Martin. All right, so Chad Meeks Martin, which, by the way, do you know that that's Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son? Oh, Mason Good. Wow, I did not. Yeah. Under- I did not know that. So, um, he, Chad uh, Meeks Martin, he actually does. Him and his sister are actually really good characters. I'm Love them again. Spoiler: I'm glad that they made it through. I hope that we get to see their characters in the new one. I love in Scream Six to have like their characters and Kirby from the last one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Great thing to do. But anyway, um, there's this point where his girlfriend's like, aren't you going to walk me to my car? And he's like, no, aren't you going to go upstairs with me? She's like, nah, like, I (laughs) like, don't get me wrong. I I would. I don't know you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it because I also honestly I love the idea that these are people related to Randy's character because of course Randy the originator of the rules his descendants or his family would be the ones to be like hey like are you really going to go to the basement by yourself are you really going to walk to your car right now I'm not going upstairs there's a killer on the loose I know you but I don't know you like that <laughs> exactly and I love I love well I think for me not Randy's character, yes, but also these are the two other people of color that we're dealing with. Yes, and again, they're just like, uh, what happened? Uh, his sister, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mindy. Mindy. Mindy's like, hey, uh, do you want to go down in the basement with me? Good question. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ask. I don't know you. <laughs> like, and I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, yes, I want people who. Not only are they in a horror movie, but they are letting you know that don't seem right. You know, like, like yeah, like it. It really makes sense to me that Chad, again, he's like oh, I, high school girlfriend. I understand, but I don't know your motives. I don't know what you do today to day. Yeah, that was really funny. And then they undermined it immediately by having hundred percent find my phone and be like, come find me. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. And that's the thing. Like, it would have been so much more interesting of a movie if 
every single character was like, we live in fucking Woodsboro. I am not going out looking for you. Like, if every single person had that same, like, we've all seen these movies, we literally live in this town, we are going to be overly cautious and still get murdered, that's interesting to me. We're trying our hardest to live and we're still dying. What a great commentary in a COVID-19 world. Absolutely. Like, again, like, if, if we really want to, like, to me, this is what I'm talking about where I'm like, there are small things that we could do that make this movie great. And instead of having Chad go, because she has her find my phone, have her be like, I lost my phone. Can you call it? You know, like, like we need to find it. Yeah. Have, have him be like, she took off with my phone. I have yeah. to go after her. You know, like something like that. Make it to where, oh, he's going to find her because she has his phone. That is the reason why we're going out. Not some girl who's out in the middle of the woods was like, hey, come find me while there's a killer on the loose. And you're like, I guess I got to go get her. No, no way. <laughs> um, the character we're talking about is a character named Liv, who is uh, the male twin uh, Chad's girlfriend in the movie. Um it, she has red hair and the moment i saw her i was like oh she's the red herring and like Ah, they played her up to be the red herring the entire time well so here's the thing i will say i found her character lackluster and i feel like there was commentary on her being boring but someone i watched it with they were like that would have been a good misdirect the idea of her being like oh you think i'm boring what about this that there was like some interest in that moment but i also love how mindy was like you just got a little bit more interesting like again there were there are things there where like i liked what we're doing i just really wish that we had committed there are moments in this movie where it's very clear that they didn't commit and i think with wes craven yeah committed that's different you know i uh (laughs) i watched this um I watched this thinking of a very similar thing that this movie has this idea that I'm, I'm sorry, my, my thoughts are getting kind of twisted right now. Um, what, gosh, say, say what you just said one more time, please. Wes Craven committed. Y- yeah. It, there's, I, I just felt a very similar thing when I was specifically watching these two characters that they make them smart enough to where they're, criticizing dumb characters but also have them make dumb mistakes at the same time and it was that was un, unsatisfying yeah exactly all right so another thing that i like i think that they did right and then we can go into your cons because yeah um i think that it's very very what they did right was um as i said the who done it and bringing all the suspects in a room they're literally right before the killers are revealed. Everyone's in the room. And I'm like, in all honesty, I don't know. Because yeah. you just came out of nowhere. And you just came out of nowhere. And you just came out of nowhere. And yours, your excuse doesn't make sense. Your excuse doesn't make sense. You're, like, so we're in this moment right now where everyone, just the entire cast, just showed up in this room. And no one has a good enough alibi 
for me to be like, you are not the killer. You know? <laughs> I, I 100% agree in that, like, you know, I saw this movie and my wife asked me afterwards, she was like, who did you think the killer was when you were watching it? Like, who did you, like, try to figure out? And I was like, you know what's so interesting is that I was just so in the pace of this movie that it never even occurred to me to think, like, oh, I wonder who the killer is. I was just like, oh, they're going to reveal it to me because I truly had no clue when I was watching it, like, that any one person gave me enough motive to think, oh, he's the killer, she's the killer. So that's where we go into my other critique. Yeah. Let's talk about the killers really quickly. Are before, we in the cons? Huh? Are we in the con character? Actually, before, before we go into cons, I'm so sorry, everyone. I know we keep teasing y'all with the, with the cons, <laughs> but uh, I also think they did Dewey right. I feel like, yes. one, yes. Dewey, uh, it made sense. Like, the moment he called and I, he was like, don't come, I was like, there is only one reason why Sydney would come at this point in time, and that is because Dewey is dead. Once Dewey's gone, Sydney is going there. But until he dies, she will stay away. So that made sense to me. And I have also, thoughts on all of that. And then but also, I'll say. I feel like Dewey, again, first of all, they show he calls the killer immediately because he, he's an experienced detective. And even though he doesn't think that he's good, he still has talent. And almost immediately, he looks at the boy, he looks at Richie and he's like, you don't know that dude. <laughs> like, and, yeah. Like, yeah. and I was like, yes, immediately. But then also, I think that I, I, I liked what we did with all of the original characters. I think having Sydney, yeah. seeing that she has a family and seeing that, you know, she's far away. And even here's the thing, even though I don't like guns, I think the idea of her being like, I'm Sydney Prescott. Yeah, I got a gun. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Her being like, look, I can't go back until this person's dead because once they're done with all of y'all, they're coming for me and my family. And I'm not having that. So, uh, like, again, there's like the scene where, um, what is her name? Uh, the oldest sister is like, you want me to help you murder? And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what we want. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> oh man um i thought they did that well yeah yeah there was yeah yeah okay con really quickly going into going into the killers i want to say this and then i'll let you go wherever you are. okay sure 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 when we come to the killers a few things with the the one that i just talked about where it's like you brought everyone into the room and i don't know who the killer is and it can be anyone, it's really good up until a moment, and then it just feels like they didn't know what to do after that moment, and I was like, there was such an easier way of doing that, and what I'm saying is, there's a moment where all the killers are in, or everyone's in the room, and Red Heron Girl is like, it's not me, and you see the one of the killers amber goes i know it's not she lit, drops all pretenses she pulls out a gun and she shoots Liv. and that to me was so lazy it just felt like they got tired of being like all right now we got to give you the killer we don't really know how else to give you like a really good reveal so they just kind of jumped into it to me you make that scene immediately better by doing this Liv says it's not me i swear and then all of a sudden there's a gunshot you see her get shot, and they immediately cut back to Gail and 
Uh, yeah, that would have been interesting. Because by you doing that, what you've done is you've prolonged me getting an answer. We we now are down one more character, and I know it's someone in that room because a gun just went off. But yeah. I don't know who it is. And then the scene that we get right after that where Amber comes outside, and she's like, they're shooting in there. Very still. more yeah. weight. That has yeah. a lot more weight. And then when she does it, because she does it twice, and I'm like, I didn't need this twice. You got to give it to me one time, and it would have been great. When she goes, you know what? Fuck this. And she shoots um, she shoots Courtney Cox. Gail, yeah. Yeah, that to me, I was like, yes. That's when you reveal that she's part of this. Yeah. But up until then, I, I didn't, like, I, it just, it literally felt like at that point in time, they wrote themselves, and they were like, I don't really know what to do. And then they just gave up. Very much like, like she gave up on pretending. It felt like the writers gave up. And I was like, that could have been saved by literally cutting five seconds of a scene. Okay, it's so funny that you say that. I actually didn't have as big of a problem with the reveal of Amber simply because it felt to me that her like kind of drop character one sentence shoot was in, in sync with Billy's when he's like, we all go a little mad sometimes, boom, shoots Dewey. I thought that's what they were trying to do. I didn't say it was it meant but, anything to me. I just saw that that was their attempt. But here's the difference with that. First of all, Billy has already been eliminated as a suspect at that point. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it's not that, if, if we're going off of the first one, it wasn't that Billy just shot someone. It's True. Billy, the injured party, is now part of it. Now we have something there. Yeah. And then B is he says we all go a little mad sometimes. Immediately giving us a reference, immediately giving us more horror. She literally just goes, I'm tired of pretending. Bam. Yeah. And it's like, no, you didn't give me anything. You just pulled out a gun and that feels like I didn't even know there was a gun in the room. Let me know there's a gun in the room. Give me something that actually tells me that you understand horror and suspense. So my issue with uh, you know, I you said that they did Dewey well. I actually disagree a little bit. Like, I, I love the way they portrayed his character. I thought he had a very gruesome death, which I'm sure David Arquette probably requested. He's like, I've been in this franchise so long. Make my death memorable. Um, which is interesting because Ghostface literally cuts guts him like a fish, the way he promises to do the Drew Barrymore on the phone in the first one. Um, my issue is literally the logistics of Amber being the killer um so the so amber is played by an actress named mike uh mikey madison she is five three yeah. david arquette is five ten so when you're watching this fight between dewey and ghostface and they're like eye to eye wrestling it like logistically does not make any sense that dewey could not have defended himself it just you can't try to explain that to me now what would have been better we have two killers, one of which is Richie. Richie, if he had killed Dewey, I think not only would it logistically have made more sense, but him being the ultimate fanboy, for him to say it's been an honor, would have meant so much more to his character. Like, you have no idea what an... Uh, what, I can't believe I'm the one who got you. Like, that... Oh my gosh, like, that would have been such a thing to play up. And... It just wasn't there for me. And I just, I can't see a world in which if this was like, if the mask were off and these two were going at it, you wouldn't even, like it wouldn't, there's no way that result would have happened. Exactly. 
So again, if you're first of all, I had a friend who was with me and he said the exact same thing. He was like, How did Amber kill Dewey? That doesn't make that was one of his no. number one things where he was like, doesn't make sense. To me, a few things. One, again, you're you're very right. I feel like Amber's character, again, they didn't commit to it. In the very beginning of the episode, or episode, in the very beginning of the episode, <laughs> when Tara's attacked and they're trying to, and we're introducing, we're kind of seeing their dynamic. There's this moment where Amber's like, do you have your inhaler? And she's very much like protective and almost like, almost like uh, domineering over Tara. And you're like, whoa. What's going on here? And to me and my friend, I immediately am like, oh, there's sexual tension there. They're either they're either dating or Amber wants to be dating Tara. And to me, that makes everything more interesting. That makes the stakes higher because as my friend who and I pointed out while we were discussing about it, we always know that it's the love interest. But give us two love interests. If the... If, um, the younger sister has a love interest and the older sister have a love interest and you don't know which one it is, yeah. but you know it's one of them, there we have stakes. We're constantly being like, is it him, is it her? Is it him, is it her? And then also in terms of the American public's understanding, they don't they assume a lesbian's a lesbian and a straight man's a straight man. So them coming together at the end is also a double twist because you're like, oh shit. The lesbian was with the dude the entire time. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, we now we have motive. You've given me kind of conflicting information that can shock me. And also you've played into my idea that it's always the lover, but whose lover is it? And I yeah. honestly, there's even really quickly, there's yeah. one where um Mindy goes. Don't get me wrong. We all have known that you have a crush on Tara. And they say it while Amber and Blanche and Wes are in the exact same frame. And I was yeah. like, but then they have Wes speak up. And I was like, oh, man. Because like when they say that, I was like, oh, I was right. Tara and Amber have some kind of tension going on. This is perfect. But they cop out. They make Wes be the one who's like, oh, yeah, I'm the one who had a crush on her. And then it doesn't go anywhere. And I was like, it doesn't make sense for you to be the one who has a crush on her when this other person, Lily, is willing to kill to make sure that they are the one who's around her. You know what I mean? Totally. And if you even look at the Scream franchise as a whole, every Ghostface pair has been one person obsessed with fame or movies and another person who has a personal connection to a relationship that was torn apart that they are vengeful over like that is the legacy of ghostface and so for both of these just to be two fanboys seemed yeah. dissatisfying um one thing i just want to quickly say about um because we talked about david arquette's death i just have one more critique of that before we move on um they this movie kind of compares itself to the Star Wars reboot in a in an interesting way. Um, I saw a lot of similarities there with bringing back legacy characters. One of the things that hurt the Star Wars franchise, which this movie kind of does in parallel, is that you're trying to continue the, the the story of one group while introducing us to a new group, and we don't get enough time with either group for characters to be fully fleshed out and right. so like, yeah there's maybe a story arc with like dewey because he's been in 
multiple movies but as far as you know this new group of people that we're meeting there's no chance for us to like i was like that's why i was like i don't know who the killer is because i haven't spent the fucking time with any of these people um but and who have we oh. spent the most time with amber so it yeah. makes sense that amber would have a really close connection with like to me there and i'm so sorry to cut you off to me i completely agree with you to me, I immediately clocked Richie and I immediately clocked Amber. I'm like, these are our two killers. But what the movie does right, which I will give it credit for, is it also gives me so much information that I question myself. And then I, I and, and I'm like, oh, you made it very obvious, but then you took it back. And I think that's cool. But had they given us a little bit more insight on Amber, I feel like it would have been just as much of a shock and kind of twist as it was when we find out it's Richie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Oh, oh I, I'm sorry. This, the star Wars analogy, there's one more thing about that, that I really stuck with me, which is that when I saw star Wars, um, awakens, I think it is the, the first one with, you know, the new cast. Yeah. When Harrison Ford dies in that movie, it's like, Oh, they kill the legacy character, but at the same time, this dude's so fucking old, he's not contributing anything new to this franchise. Am I really that sad when he dies? And that's the exact same reaction I had when Dewey died. I was like, this dude is no longer interacting with Sydney. He's no longer interacting with Gail. He is a reclusive. He's old. He's not even a part of the police force anymore. Am I really that sad over Dewey dying? Um, it just felt like an easy one for them to throw at us in a very similar way that Harrison Ford probably was like, I don't fucking want to do this anymore. Kill me off. Like it didn't have like any emotional mm to it. It just felt like a, Oh, they're doing that now. And it was just interesting that again, criticizing these, uh, requels but kind of falling into the same pitfalls at, at, at the same time absolutely and and again i knew like again when we're doing a requel especially someone like this we have to have a legacy character die so that was but in all honesty not saying that i want sydney or gail to but there does become a point to where it's like no what is keeping you alive other than yeah. sheer dumb luck like, the idea that uh, all three of them would have made it through would have actually made me upset. Someone has, like, I have to know that there are states here, and you're just not on the sidelines watching all these kids go through these things. Yeah, and honestly, like, I, no disrespect to Courtney Cox or Gail Weathers, it's such an important character. To me, it would made more sense for her to be the legacy character that died simply because she has... Uh, kind of succumbed to so much selfishness when it comes to Woodsboro, the murders, her exploitation of it, how she's been able to reach fame based off of her exploitation of it, that like for her to have died, I think would have made been more poetic justice than Dewey dying. And then like it just being Sydney in this heartbroken Dewey, like to me, that makes more sense than Courtney Cox coming in from out of town and being like, all right, in from out of town again. Oh, there's a murder. Gonna report on it. I'm out. Same as the last four times. Yeah. Like, uh, what are well, we doing? I think, I think to me, there are a few things. One, we know that horror movies are carried by women. And yes. I felt like there was this parallel that was being done of, like, sisters, you know, sistership. 
and the like if we if we really do think about it the ones who survive are sisters mindy yeah. the sister survives um sam and why can't i not remember the oldest one's name uh, oh no sam and tara yeah uh, they're 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 it's it's that uh frozen effect well you know the image of gail sydney and sam together uh like these three women from three different generations for me was very reflective of the halloween franchise and what they did with their requel um and i have to say that like i i i feel that the halloween franchise did this better this this idea of a requel better and like it was it was interesting to me that they were critiquing it but like not able to up the stakes or make it more interesting at all. Completely agree. Uh, Absolutely agree because that's, I felt like you didn't give me any, you didn't give me enough new. Uh, You gave me a lot to think about. You brought up some really great topics, but you didn't give me enough new. And the new that you did give me, sometimes it was like, like, for example, the rant at the end from Richie, yeah. It just it feels very it feels like a rant. It feels very like and we're going to tell you our plan right now. And I'm like why? Like, like I am so annoyed with every scream movie being like, "Hey, these three people that we have tried to kill for weeks now, we finally have them in the room." And instead of just shooting them right in the fucking head right off the bat, we are going to monologue to them. We are going to give them 25 some odd minutes to get out of whatever uh trap they're in, for them to find a knife, for them to get free and i'm over the monologue killer reveal like it just doesn't make sense you got sydney she's in the house you need her to be in kill her right away bada bing bada boom what are you doing or you know what give me your monologue while we're wrestling give me your like yes like there's um i can't remember but there's a particular part where oh and maybe it's when tara's in the hospital where something's happening and she's seeing and she's like, you know what? Fuck this. And she turns back. And it's just like, yeah, that's what I want from you. I want someone who's just like, we're doing the same things. But you know what? No, nah, I'm not doing this the old way. I ain't going down like that. Yeah. I want you to, if we're going to have a monologue, give me a monologue while you're fighting. Give me a monologue in a way, kind of like, you know what it is? Who did this really right? Um, Black Panther. Remember where there's like this really long monologue of like this heartfelt um, moment where T'Challa and his family are reunited and they're just like, I knew, and all this stuff. And then uh, Umbutu is just like, are you done? <laughs> like, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I want. I want there to be a moment where it's like, ah, cut out the monologue. I don't need it. <laughs> yeah, there's no time for it. What, what are we doing here? I need to know your plan. Like that's, that's what I want more than anything. Um, or even we could have had like Amber give the monologue or Richie give the monologue and one of them being like, yo, what, what are you doing? (laughs) And this is kind of my main annoyance with Scream 4 because Scream 4, really the last, like the character reveals done so well. It's so interesting. And the idea that she borderline got away with it. Oh my God. Why didn't we just go through with it? Why didn't she just get away with it? We didn't commit. Oh my God. Did not commit. The reason why 4 is as low as it is. Four would be my absolute favorite. If Jill got away with it, right? If Jill got away with it. A hundred percent. Like, how many times can someone try to kill Sydney Prescott and her just fucking get away with it? In all honesty, Jill getting away with it 
and us ending thinking that Sydney is dead, thinking that Gail is dead. Yeah. What better way for their characters to exit? In all honesty, I don't think that you could have a more fitting exit for them. Yeah. It would have been moment. so great. And, and like, the, and, I. And, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was, I was just going to say that this was. <laughs> we're both so excited. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say that it's just that. Um, it's a dark reality. Like if we if we're commenting on the state of the world, having people get away with it, and then the yeah. next movie, or or you know like Jill gets away with it, and then we get that scene where they realize, oh wait a minute, like Jill gets away with it. Movie ends perfectly. After credit scene is when we realize Stewie hears her say, "How's your wife's arm?" and then he just realizes. End of movie. Yeah, and just a hundred percent. Like, it, it, and you know, like I was just gonna. The reason why I bring that up is because that ending was so satisfying and like on so many levels, um, and interesting. And when both of these characters are revealed, I just have to say I was just not surprised. There was nothing interesting about it. I didn't care for their deaths. Like they really meant nothing to me in the way that Jill was able to like bring something new in the sense of like, oh, multiple people have tried to do this and she might actually be the one who does it. For her yes. to portray herself as a victim while at the same time being the killer in the future film, oh my God, I want, I want, I want all of it. Um, okay, so that, I have... Oh, go I ahead, go ahead. A, just to that, to kind of piggyback off of that, to me, I think another thing, like everything that I've given, all the little critiques that I think, I think that that would make the movie better. But if we want to keep everything else the same and add one more twist, I think would have made it better. Have Tara be one of the killers. Because what oh, we yeah. do by doing that is, one, there are three killers now. Yes. And that's yes. something where I was like, okay, yeah, that's what I was expecting. There was, a, like, my friend who was with me, actually, he was like, there's one point in time where I was like, is this a cult? Is everyone, like, are okay. all the kids a killer? And I was like, that's something that I want to see. Like, yeah, I always know there's going to be two killers. In fact, when they say, we always know there's going to be two killers, what you need to do in that moment is give me three. Yes. Give me four. Give me a system. Give me to where this is like a, 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 a pact with, uh, or like a pack and movie club or something. A hundred percent. Okay, I'm so excited that you said that. And the reason being is that Kevin Williamson had this idea for this, I think either Scream 3 or Scream 4 that never came out, which was this idea that there was a Scream cult that formed. And if you're really going to dive into fandom, fandom is not one or two people. It is a group of people. So the idea that, you know, Sidney Prescott gets into this room and maybe everyone is in on it, like, what a fucking crazy interesting thing that would have been. Like, I, You know who else I just thought about? If we do the cult route, the Asian officer at the hospital, immediately all of his actions make more sense. And yeah, said, maybe he's the one like who a, killed Dewey. Like, we don't yes. know who killed who. Exactly. But also, what, it, what, we, what happens at that point in time is now we're like, oh, anyone can be the yes. killer. And that, again, that has your fandom tie. That has the fear, the real world fear of, I don't know anyone well enough 
to guarantee myself that they are not in on this. And yeah. that kind of par- like, especially as you were saying, in a COVID world where your neighbors are some of the most dangerous people, it would yeah. totally make sense to be like, go the cult route and be like, yeah, we all met on Reddit and it's not two of us. It's all of us. Or Amazing, bro. Us. Chills. Like, Full body chills hearing that shit. Um, I, I, yeah, I 100% agree on that. I, I have two more big things that annoyed me I want to talk about. Um, I don't know if you have a list or notes or if you're just kind of going off the cuff, but one thing I really want to say that bothered me, I, I, I know we kind of talked about this before, was uh, the omission of, of the character of Roland in general. Like, we, we've talked about that. that. That annoyed me. But what mostly annoyed me was that it seemed as though Scream itself, the 2022 movie, was openly critiquing its own sequels as the fan community has done however at the same time it didn't feel like any other france movie but the first scream got any love which i understand they're doing a requel everything has to go back to the original but like why keep sheriff hicks from part four and not bring in sydney's fucking brother like the person who like, why not even mention his name? Like, that's the thing that irked me so much was that, like, all of these other characters are brought in and mentioned and all this stuff. But this movie that you're saying is canon has a big, giant fucking reveal that no one is talking about. And that was a really hard thing for them to be like, well, it all goes back to, to Stu and Billy. And I was like, guys, someone just say his name. Yeah. Yeah. No, here's the thing. <laughs> I agree with you there. I, I, I felt very similarly where it's like we're doing a lot of love for the first one but a really good if you want to let's go requel if we're going requel what we we don't pay homage just to the first one we give you everything that you've known so far so we're not recreate just recreating um we're not just recreating the very first movie we're recreating moments from each movie and each movie should have halloween does this really well yeah, each movie should have some kind of element where you're like, oh shit, that's from the second one. That, Like you said, you have eight movies to pull from in this universe. Everyone should be making homages to all of them. We should have, we should have, um, as you said, in the very beginning, when we're doing quizzes, we should be doing quizzes on all eight stab movies, not just the first one. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and my last little bit here that I have before I kind of, uh, you know, I, I kind of run out of my, my my cons is that, you know, you said that, like, oh, it makes all sense in the world. Like, you have to kill Dewey to get Sydney back in Woodsboro. I strongly disagree. There is literally no reason in the world for Sydney Prescott to ever step foot in Woodsboro. And I, I know our listeners may disagree. I really don't think that Sydney Prescott loves her family because as Sydney <laughs> Prescott, she was selfish enough to have a family. This has happened to her five times. Let's talk about this. The chance of an American dying from a serial killer is 0.00039%. I'm not trying to victim blame anyone, but if I told you that my house burned down once, you'd be like, oh my God, how terrible. And then like two years later, I was like, yo, my house burned down again. And you were like, oh my God, this keeps happening. What an unfortunate three times this happened. Four, five times my house is burned down. Aren't you looking at me being like, bruh, do you know about fire safety? Do you know how to avoid fires? We, maybe we should take some classes or courses. Like, it's just, 
it seems selfish for Sydney to get involved with anything. Like every person, let's talk about this. It's not one person. It's not Michael Myers chasing Jamie Lee over and over again. Nine different people have risked everything to kill Sydney Prescott. Why are all these people trying to kill her? Like there's no reason for her to evade murder from nine different people. Here's the thing, you know, you bring up a really good point. And it's it's funny because I think that Halloween, I think was it Halloween 2018? Yeah. That, I think Halloween 2018 actually does it the best because we keep coming back to there to where when we meet up with Lori in Halloween 2018, she's a shut-in. She's yeah. a recluse. She's an alcoholic. She trusts no one. And you're like, yes. Because that is the reaction that you have when <laughs> someone has tried to kill you on numerous occasions. So the idea that Sydney would, as you said, not be someone who's paranoid. I think it's great. And I, I do like this idea of like not being a victim your whole life, being taking the risk and being like, sure. hey, I have a family. I'm not going to let this thing define me. I think that's great. But I also think that, as you pointed out, we lose a little bit of commentary on what it's like to be a survivor of multiple attacks. It's one thing when you're a survivor. Like, Sydney, in all honesty, not saying that she had to do this, Sydney should show up, and the moment Richie attacks her, Sydney turns into Neo from The Matrix. And she's just like, bop, 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 bop. Like, like, yeah. No, I'm that I've been taking self-defense classes for years, bruh? Like, yeah, you don't think I like, can beat up Amber from high school? What are we even talking about? I'm like, Sydney Prescott. Like, we, we should be doing, like, a miscongeniality level of uh, the sing thing. You know, it's just like, break their nose. Hit the, like, like, I want yeah. Sydney be, like, this badass because for someone who has been exposed to this time and time again, I don't see her as someone who would have a gun only. I see her as someone who any and all forms of self-protection, Sydney is the best version. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and to your point about the Halloween franchise, I just quickly want to say is that when we go into Halloween 2018, we see that Jamie Lee has been preparing. She's paranoid as much as she is prepared. She's scared. Like there's this equal thing of overcoming her fear to face her, uh, uh, you know, accuser, abuser, whatever. We're supposed to understand that over, like in Scream 1, she was the victim. In Scream 2, she fought back. In Scream 3, she tried to hide and realized that she couldn't. And then she emerged as this person who's not fearful of the world anymore. That's a great arc, whatever. But in both Scream 4 and Scream 5, she just kind of shows up like, well, now I'm Sydney Prescott and I'm ready to roll. There's no like, oh, wow, this is like, there's touching on stuff. There's no like uh, inner trauma or turmoil that she has to overcome. She's just like, I'm ready to kick ass, bro. This is what I'm here to do. I disagree on Scream 4 because I feel like at least in Scream 4, she's writing the book. She's telling her sto story. Yeah. She's yeah. owning the narrative, which again, survival's trajectory. I get that. But in Scream 5, specifically, I have a problem with Sydney being thrown around by anyone. 
It doesn't have to be Amber. It could be Richie. The idea that Sydney hasn't taken a self-defense class, the idea that Sydney doesn't know the most sensitive parts on a human body, where it's like she just takes them down immediately. You know what I mean? I'm not saying yeah, that she like, you know how many times she's been stabbed? You know how many times yeah. that she's been in a fist fight? Like, it shouldn't even be a fair fight. Exactly. What are we doing? That's what I'm saying. And, or again, Sydney, definitely. We can bring Gail into this and be like, again, I'm not saying that I want this to as automatically turn into a Jackie Chan movie. I'm saying that at some point in time, you've gone through this every single decade of your life. You're going to be like, nah, son, I'm going to learn a few things. No one's going to just come up from behind me. And like, I'm, I'm going to be a lot more sensitive about my surroundings. Yeah. And that's what I think. Like, they do a really good job of Sydney being the elder in the situation and being like, hey, I recognize trauma and, I, and what you're going through is heavy and you're going to need time and you're going to need a support system. All of that, great. But at the exact same time, Sydney should be a little bit more um, equipped for dealing with this type of situation. I, I, I love what you said just now about her kind of walking the new uh, final girl of Sam through this from a psychological standpoint. If Sydney had shown up and been like, you know what? Like at the end, Sam's like, am I going to be okay? And if that had been the thing about like, what's it take to be okay after surviving trauma? If that had been Sydney's story in this as a, like a mentor, as someone who's been like, yeah, I've been through it. Here's the ways you can get over it. She just goes like, yeah, you'll be okay eventually. You'll, you know, walk it off. Yeah. Like that's her reaction. And it's super unsatisfying. Yeah. It's super as, unsatisfying. As we come to a close, I, cause yeah. we've, been, we've been talking about this for a while. I know, way, I know. I know. I'm, not, I'm not mad. Oh, actually, no, no. I, I do gotta go though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I didn't realize what time it was. Um, that being said, it is, um, it's a it's a worthy movie. I say that they do good. I actually hope that they get a, a six because I would love to see them build on this and yeah. hopefully take some time, take some of this criticism and give me a brand new story. Um, um my my last uh overall thought on this is that um like I you know, true to the idea of keeping it linked to the original story, like many sequels suck because they kind of lose gr sight of what made the original great. Um, yes. I had kind of compared to Scream franchise to M. Night Shyamalan movies earlier, but I think a movie that does this really well is Split because it's a completely different movie from Unbreakable, but makes perfect sense as a sequel as it stays true to that original premise of what if extraordinary people like exist among us? Like it's, it's like, they don't have to say the same dialogue in the same settings, pay homage scene to after scene after scene to be a sequel that fits into that world. It's Split gives us nothing but new stuff to add to the world of Unbreakable. I'm not going to talk about Glass. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> but but I'm just saying like that's the like a great idea of giving us a sequel that has all of the same heart of this first movie, but you're showing us a different side of it. Unbreakable shows us a hero story. Split shows us a villain story. And Scream, like, I feel like at a certain point, we're just kind of, like, really just, like, circle-jerking ourselves when we're just, like, paying homage to scene after scene of the original movie over and over again. I just don't believe that Wes Craven would have wanted 
a movie to just keep going back to the same location every final act. Like, I just, I can't imagine that that's, that's it. So, you know, overall, I enjoyed the movie. Was it something fun to watch? Yes. Did I have a great time? Did I get scared? Yes. But as far as, like, impact of this movie, I feel like if it came out before Halloween 2018, it would have been very impactful. But because it came out in 2022, I don't know that it did. And that's... And- and I will say My that that's thought. kind of like I'm not gonna lie. There are plenty of movies to where um, there are plenty of movies that I feel um, actually suffered not because they're not great, but because the world isn't the world that it was released into a world that wasn't the movie that they built it for. If that makes any yeah. sense, like there are plenty of movies where I was like, you would have been great before George Floyd. You would have yeah. been great before COVID. You would have been great before this moment in time where we can't go back. And everyone's in the after now. And yeah. I know that you did a great movie for the before times, but we're not there. So we're going to judge you a little bit more harshly. And and to your point about how there's so many times it could have related to the moment we're in of being paranoid of everyone around you, not being able to trust people's like political parties, their true beliefs, their true ideas of your family and your own friends. Like there's so much that you could have capitalized on in the moment in a movie that is a whodunit that fell short. And I, I wish it would have kind of captured the moment a little better. Again, this idea and like, I, I really do want to wrap it up, but like the idea to me that it's, a cult or again if we want to go with it's tara and we add her to that mix what we're saying is don't you like you can't even trust family anymore so you have lover you have friend you have family you're hitting all three and yeah. it's just like damn who can i trust like that is something that is very relevant or if you want an essential to a whodunit essential yeah. Or if we really want to mix it up, like not saying that we had to do this, but I'm just thinking about the cops or all this other stuff. Let's talk about it from the perspective of the cops were never really helpful in these situations. Yeah. Give me some kind of examination on that. I think that what I was missing and what I've almost always gotten is the viewpoint from a different perspective. And like scream for say what you want to say but that was like oh what's it like to be the family member of someone who's going through all this other shit yes someone who every time you walk through the door you're sydney prescott's cousin that you have no identity they have consumed your identity what does that feel like and i feel like this movie just didn't give me that one little extra and it's a good movie i hope they get a six but if I think they could have done better. I agree. I agree. Well, Siege, uh, you know, we've we've talked uh, this movie to death. Uh, you know, I I have to say I, I'm so glad that I saw the movie. I'm so glad that we talked about it. I know this isn't typical Boy Meets World stuff, but um, I appreciate you hopping on here and having the conversation with me. Um, any other thoughts you want to give our audience before we uh, sign out for today? Absolutely. Now, I just, I just want to say that um, if you enjoyed this conversation, Please let us know. I'm really excited to um, hear everyone's thoughts on the movie. And then also, I really, really want to say that um, Scream is a great franchise. It just is. It has its misses, but I think that most people will walk away more satisfied than not. Yeah, I mean, as far as just like it being mentally stimulating of all the slasher movie franchises, I think that you're there's more to chew on with this one than clearly any of the others um 
Yeah, I love this. Love this movie. Love this franchise. I know we kind of critique the hell out of it, but it's only because we love it so much. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, we will go back to our normal Bra Meets World uh, schedule. Um, if you guys like the idea that we kind of did a movie this time and you want to hear us do maybe more movies, let us know. I know we've done some movie reviews in the past, but I, I think we both would love to get back into that if you guys enjoyed this. Um, hit us up on our social media links, uh, Bra Meets World Everything. Um, and I think that's it. Later, bros. Later, bruh.